Indeed, all praise, all praise is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The King of the Kings, the Lord of the Worlds, the very first and the very last, our Creator, our Sustainer, and our Cherisher, our Lord, the only one who will forgive us our sins and mistakes, the only one that will guide us to the right path, the only one that will forgive us and reward us for our deeds and actions and intentions. So all praise due and be to him. We sing his praises day and night, and in every moment, at every breath that we breathe, as it is befitting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for all the kindness and the grace and the generosity and the mercy that he shows us at every moment of time. We also send peace and salutations upon his final prophet and messenger, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, who showed us the way, who became our master and our true teacher, whose footsteps and example we need to follow in order to gain the ultimate salvation in order to become better human beings, in order to become true, sincere believers in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we praise him and we send peace and salutations upon him and his pure family and his noble companions and every true believer until the very last day. We are in the first quarter of Safar which is another month of our Islamic calendar. And indeed, my brothers and sisters, we have to learn for once and all that time is very precious to us. It is summertime still. We call it summer holiday time. Our children are not going to school, but they are about to begin their school cycle. Some of you are still on your annual leaves, but that is going to come to an end pretty soon, I guess. And we are all going to go back to our normal daily routine, as we do for the majority of the year. But every day is equally precious. And every moment of our life is equally precious. And we should not use any of our time or any of our abilities or senses but to that that pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Being truly smart and intelligent and make most of our time and prepare in the best possible way for the ultimate reckoning day. Because we Muslims believe that our existence is not all about this worldly survival. Yes, we want to learn and develop and enhance as much as we can so that we can live comfortably while we occupy this beautiful planet. And we want to preserve its beautiful and handy resources. <clears throat> but at the same time, we would like to use this miracle of life and this gift of life as a golden opportunity to prepare for what's to come. And what's to come is not to be compared to what we enjoy and have 
in this worldly life of ours, for sure. Because what's to come is eternal. And if you have any kind of intelligence, or if your mind is big enough to be able to rationalize in a logical manner and way, you will never want to compare something which is permanent to that which is temporary. Something which is unlimited to something which is finite and limited. The two indeed cannot be compared. The hereafter, what's to come is indeed better and everlasting. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us in Surah Al-A'la that we read every Friday more or less when we pray this prayer. So remember that as the very first point of today's khutbah. Seeing before me so many of our children, may Allah preserve them, keep them on guidance, and may Allah enable us as their parents to pass on the, 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 the great trust, the great amana, our Islamic heritage, <clears throat> which is the belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his final prophet and messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and his sunnah. So we can pass that on to them so that they may enjoy that guidance and reap the fruits of it, the benefits of it, and then inshallah ta'ala they will continue the same way, passing on the legacy to the next and the next and the next generation until Allah Almighty wills. So I wanted to share with them first and foremost and all of you a couple of stories from our Islamic history that to me are profound and important. They relate to each and every one of us, even if you are a grandfather or great-grandfather. Some of you are great-grandparents. I don't doubt that. It still relates to you, even when you talk about a teenage boy or a child. But if the time allows me, I also wanted to read one hadith Qudsi or part of it as the greatest lesson of today's khutbah for you, for myself and all of you, indeed. So the first story is about Sayyidina Ali radiallahu ta'ala who was the very first boy, a young person, to embrace Islam. After, soon after, the incident of Ghari Hira happened, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed to make our beloved messenger his final prophet and messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he revealed the very first part of the divine revelation, Surah Al-Alaq. Read, we are about to read, and many of us read through primary and secondary and college and university and maybe postgraduate studies, but we want to continuously read and improve. It's the very first imperative of our deen, the very first command of our religion. So soon after that amazing, timeless, tremendous command was revealed to our Prophet and when he went back to his own house to find some refuge, shelter, like sanctuary, a place of true refuge, he found his beloved wife who didn't reject him, who listened to him and supported him fully and fully understood what he actually had experienced just a little while ago and embraced Islam and happened to be the very first grown-up to accept Islam to testify that there is no God but one, and there is a true God, the only true divine being. And that Muhammad is Allah's final prophet and messenger, 
who happened to be there upon the Prophet's arrival, return, was his cousin that the Prophet ﷺ took with the permission of his father, who was his uncle, Abu Talib, that he would nurture and keep at his own house. He happened to be there. He was just nine or ten years old. Many of you might be ten years old. Many children here, boys and girls. He heard this conversation between spouses, the husband and wife. And he understood whatever his age enabled him, allowed him to understand. And he came forward and he said, I too bear witness. I too believe in what you are saying, O the Messenger of Allah. I believe that Allah has chosen you to be his representative, his prophet, his messenger on the face of this earth. And I believe in one true God and you as his final prophet and messenger. And therefore he became the very first boy, child, to embrace Islam, to accept Islam. Less than four years later, three years and few months later, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by then revealed like almost one-fifth of the Qur'an to the Prophet And among the ayahs that he revealed by that junction was from Surah Al-Qasas, وَأَنذِرْ عَشِيرَتَكَ الْأَقْرَبِينَ صدق الله العظيم Allah revealed to our messenger, now warn, call to Islam, but give them like a warning. Like, you already told many people there is only one true God. Allah selected me as his true messenger. There's a life beyond this worldly life of ours. We ought to do good deeds. We need to stay away from evil. But people didn't listen. So he had to give them a stern warning. Look, if you believe and do good deeds, you deserve a very beautiful reward by your Lord who is kind and beautiful and rewarding. But on the other hand, if you ignore this call and you choose to disbelieve or you persist in doing wrong, then remember and be warned. There's a punishment for such misbehavior, mischievousness. That's called inzar, warning. Warn your tribe, the close relatives of your tribe means your clan, Bani Hashim. So the Prophet ﷺ had no choice here. He was given a very direct command by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to invite all chiefs of his clan. Some narrations say there were about 40 elders from Bani Hashim at that time. But let's say there were at least 20 elders. Almost half of them were his own uncles. Abu Talib and Hamza and Abbas and Abu Lahab and the rest of his uncles. So they came basically upon the Prophet's nice invite to his house to hear what it is that the Prophet ﷺ is going to warn them about. But how did the Prophet ﷺ answer to this command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Who did he involve in answering to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to invite his close, close relatives? He involved his cousin Ali, a boy. Imagine you and I are given a very stern mission. You and I need to raise awareness about, I don't know, global warming or climate change or, I don't know, sustainability or I don't know what else, about knowledge, about maths, about A-levels. Something really serious about preserving the NHS. 
And we need to inform half of Cambridge or half of London. And it's been, the responsibility has been handed over on to your shoulders. What do you do? Are you going to look for some teenage boys and girls who will help you in the mission? Or are you going to select elderly people, wise men? Somebody came a few weeks ago here and said, I come to your mosque, is there any wise men here? I have some, I've got some questions. And then he sat with a couple of uncles who are really wise. So I was pleased to see that. So indeed, he assigned the most important task to his cousin, Ali radiallahu anhu, who was just under 14 years of age, a teenager. He says, Ali, I give you the responsibility to prepare some food for the chiefs of our clan. And you will see whatever of foods we have in the house, you will prepare that and also make sure you bring some drink for them, even if it's just like a jar of milk. But make sure you feed them nicely. And I'm going to invite them in response to this command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he did so. So he went around and he knocked on those doors of those chiefs of their clan. 20 or 40 of them. He invited them. He cooked for them. He prepared the food himself. And when they arrived, when they came to the Prophet's house, the Prophet told him, Ali, bring the food for it. It was a modest meal, I have to say. Just some rice and maybe a couple of uh, bits of meat, maybe lamb, uh, one leg of lamb, or some narration say something like that. But let's say two pieces of meat and a little bit of rice. And that's it. So they brought this modest meal, but the Prophet was very intelligent and very smart in his manhaj, in his way of calling people to Islam. I'm going to bring them for a meal, not to tell them off straight away, not to warn them straight away. And everyone will, in a way, oblige to, to an invite for, for even a cup of tea. It doesn't have to be a meal. So they came. Some narrations say it was a failed attempt at first. But I don't know. I'm not so sure. Even if it was just one session, look what happened at the meeting. Every time the Prophet orders the teenage boy to do something, does he say, I don't understand, oh, the Messenger of Allah. You are a Prophet of Allah. It's very hard to understand. What is prophethood? What is prophecy? That's too much philosophy and theology involved. Or he says, you are talking here about, you know, to my father, Abu Talib, who came, and my other uncles. I'm not of that age. I might as well just go and find some toys and play behind. Nowadays, an iPad or a tablet, a smartphone, FIFA, whatever, I don't know. Or this and that. He did not rebel like that. He didn't say, oh, there are boys running around outside. I want to join in and run down the road with them. I'm not interested. It's a heavy subject. And he says, bring the food for that you made, prepared. He didn't say, I can't carry it all by myself. Can you and Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha help me? He didn't say any of that. He obeyed the messenger of Allah at the first instance. And that was from his right tarbiyah, right upbringing. And he brought everything that the Prophet sallallahu asked him to do. And he obeyed him completely. And then after they had eaten some of that food, as I understand, the Prophet ﷺ did not hesitate. 
He took the very first opportunity because in one narration, one of his uncles, he insulted him like they were questioning the actual food. They expected a feast or they expected something better than that. So the Prophet ﷺ, he seized the moment and he told them the cracks of the meeting, why he had to invite them. Because Allah revealed that ayah to him. And he said what he said. And then he asked them, which one of you is going to become a brother of mine? Which one of you is going to support me in my mission? Which one of you is going to become my helper? And there was a complete silence, just like now a few children are making noises. No one came forward. No one of the elders said anything. And the one who came forward was the very boy who took care of the whole meeting, of the whole event. Ali radiallahu ta'ala an wa arda. He was the teenage boy. Listen, children. The teenage boy was the one who came and said, Oh my dear cousin, or the messenger of Allah, I am here to become a brother of yours. And I am here to support you along your mission. And I am here to become your helper. I am the one. I offer my services, my time, my, myself, everything, all of my abilities and skills, whatever I have got. They were obviously insulted. Him, his father was there, uncles, and they started to look at one another. Look, and they even made the remark to Abu Talib, it seems like the messenger of Allah embraced this boy and took his offer, and therefore he's put your own son before you, O Abu Talib. So they started to make some kind of noise, find an excuse to, to flee the house, basically to get up and move. Leave. And they did so, we understand. They found some kind of egotistical argument, I would say. Nafsani hujjah. And they used it as shaitan was their ally, perhaps. And they left the meeting. But the lesson really is that, regardless of your age or gender, or your education, I would even say, or whatever it is, you could always, you do not undermine yourself. You could always be the one who would aid Allah's deen and his messenger and his teachings. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help our children to become braver. Just so brave like Ali was, who would step in front of his own father and other uncles of his and say, I am the one who is going to go with you wherever you need to go to prove the world that this and that needs doing before the world collapses. Despite my young age. And we had a girl from Sweden, wherever she was, who spoke to the United Nations Council very strongly. And many of them maybe heard her. Many maybe ignored what she was saying. But that is the example. And I think I don't have any more time left for today. But inshallah, next time we will continue. I will conclude the khutbah by this hadith Qudsi عن أبي ذر رضي الله تعالى عنه عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فيما رواه عن الله عز وجل This is hadith Qudsi that Abu Dhar al-Ghaffari رضي الله تعالى عنه narrated to us He said the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم 
narrated from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, Allah Almighty says, so this is a hadith Qudsi. He said, Ya ibadi, Ya ibadi, kullukum dalun illa man hadaytuhu. Fastahduni ahdikum. This is just part of the hadith Qudsi actually. I'll narrate other parts later on. He said, all of you would be misguided if it wasn't for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide you, to have guided you. So therefore, seek guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah shall, Allah will guide us. And this is exactly the surah that we read every single day in our salah. إِهْدِنَ الصِّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ Oh Allah, guide us onto the right path. What is it? Sirat al-Ladina an'amta alayhim. It is the path of those upon whom you have showed your blessings. Like Sayyidina Ali radiallahu ta'ala an, wa arda, and Fatima, and Khadija, and, and the early Muslims in Mecca, and those who supported them and aided them in Medina after the blessed Hijrah. And all those, especially the first and second generations of Muslims, who sacrificed everything they have had so that you and I can pray and worship with utmost freedom and even luxury, you might say. So I pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we all pray with utmost sincerity at every moment that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keeps us on the right path. And it is Allah and no one else that guides. إِنَّكَ لَا تَهْدِي مَنْ Allah told his messenger in the same surah, soon after that incident I was talking about, It is Allah and not you who guides or the messenger of Allah. You shall not guide those that you love. You can love your close relatives who are yet to be guided. And do love them and respect them. But you cannot guide anyone, nor can you force anyone into Islam. So we pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he makes us among those people who will raise their hands and understand that our hearts, we are not in charge of them, but Allah is. And we ask Allah for guidance. And whatever good you see on the day of judgment, the hadith says, praise Allah for, for enabling you to do good. Whatever evil or other than that you see on the scale, don't blame anyone else but yourself. I pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to keep us on the right guidance and I pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us the tawfiq to do as much good as we can before it's too late and I pray to him that he accepts our deeds from us and that he rewards us according to his kindness and generosity.